Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You work hard for your money. Are you sure it's working hard for you? You could be sure with Merowest Credit Union. As a credit union, Merowest is all about people, you and me. So they do the right thing by offering us better rates, greater choices, and better service. Merowest Smart Rewards Checking is a perfect example. It's a checking account that pays you with rates up to 18 times the national average. Really, check it out at merowest.com. And service? Merowest takes pride in what they do. Experience it. Your dreams and Merowest's values just go together. Consider Merowest today. Unexpected trouble? CashNet USA can take the stress out of borrowing emergency funds. Our fast, secure application process makes it easy to apply online 24-7. Plus, CashNet USA offers same-day funding if approved before 10.30 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Additional terms may apply. Visit CashNetUSA.com or tap the banner to apply today. What's up, everybody? It's your boy B. Scott with the Philadelphia Eagles. I just want to thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is a Brawl Network production. You're listening to the Eagles Brawl Podcast. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! Here to take you on the road to victory. It's Connor Miles, Ed Cross. Johnny Page, and Tyler Steege. Right, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network, wherever you're listening, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you get the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Co-host Connor Miles here with my co-host Johnny Page. Johnny and I have never been on a sync for a schedule, so whenever I get an opportunity to sit back and record with him, I soak it all in. And I got to say, man, I know it's for a podcast, but congratulations, you're a new homeowner. How does it feel? Yeah, if there's any echo, then apologies, but we don't think there is. Yeah, it feels a bit strange. It uh, feels a bit strange. Three days, brand new place. Uh, and back onto sort of the podcast as well. I mean, you didn't even mention, I know you're leaving it to me to introduce our lovely guest, uh, Ryan. I should have looked at your surname before. Is it Sasek? How the hell do you pronounce your surname, Ryan? I'm going to get you in straight away. Sasaki. 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 There yeah. you go. So this is the, the Britain me. Uh, and I was just saying, um, I was talking to my partner about this yesterday, not that she gives... Uh, uh, any care at all but this is like an exclusive because ryan doesn't tweet ryan hasn't written for the athletic for a couple of years his blog is long gone chip wagon back in the old days i do wonder how many of our listeners actually read chip wagon like i wonder who was on eagles twitter seven years ago last with me time, last time we but, had ryan on the show and it was back in i think may or maybe maybe even june we had a lot of listens yeah chip wagon is was the blog it was the og yeah, I mean, when I was there, when I was sort of growing up in my X's and O's, because as a Brit, I've never really, I didn't just learn football for a young age. I had to really learn it like a, like a new language, basically. And Ryan was like my way in. So it's always good to talk to him. And I'm genuinely excited because I have no idea what he's going to say. I literally <laughs> messaged him two days ago and said, do you want to come on the pod? And he said, yeah. And now we're here. So I have no idea what he's going to say about Doug, what he's going to say about Wentz, what he's going to say about Siriani. So um, we're basically just going to pick, uh, pick his brain for a bit and try and figure out basically what went wrong with Eagles last year. So we're going to ignore the sort of crap about Wentz and what you're hearing in the radio a lot at the moment. We're going to try and be a bit more uh, scheme, X's nose type stuff. And yeah, Ryan, uh, just like a general, I guess, overview of the Eagles season, seeing as we haven't heard from you. How bad was it? How much did you enjoy it? How much did you watch? Uh, how did you find it? Yeah, I mean, uh, so first of all, guys, thanks for the invite again. Always good to come on here and talk with you guys. It's it's always a lot of fun. Um, uh, and, and you know, just to be perfectly candid, perfectly transparent, uh, I don't I don't know what I'm going to say on this in in the next uh, thirty minutes or so either. But uh, we'll see what we can do. So yeah, just uh, just on the first question, I mean, yeah, I, I'm an Eagles fan through and through. I have been for a long time. So you know, like a diehard Eagles fan, you know, I punished myself and watched every game and. Uh, you know, watch repeats of every game to try to get an understanding of, you know, how could this have possibly gone, you know, as poorly we were saying before we, before we jumped on here about, you know, if you told me six and 10, this, you know, this time last year, I'd probably be like, it's possible, but 
you know, 4-11 and, and 1, I guess it was in the end, just couldn't have predicted it. And then to see all the fallout from that as well with the, you know, axing of Peterson and, you know, completely clearing house and the, and the coaching staff and all the drama with Wentz. I mean, no one could have predicted that. Right. So, um, I mean, looking at it back as a fan and looking back at trying to look at it somewhat objectively about what happened on the field. I mean, it, it, it it's clear there's a lot of drama and we're not going to get into that because lots of other people are talking about that and it dominates the airwaves. But I mean, obviously that's, that's the, biggest issue right is if there was obviously a lot of drama behind the scenes whether it was you know with the coaching staff with the coaching staff's relationship with the quarterback uh and then the quarterback himself you know so i mean anytime you have that type of problem that will lead to a four win season right uh, on the field and you know we can get into more details on this i would say that the offense was just confusing in, in, in 2020. Uh, it just was, you know, it was a departure from the things they did best in 2017, 2018. And it's, you know, it's almost like, you know, this, this, this front office especially has been criticized recently uh, over the last few years about maybe like uh, overcorrecting on certain things. And it just, I think one of the themes for me that jumped out in 2020 was okay. Everyone knew they were going to go wide receiver in the draft. There was no doubt for even a second that they weren't going to draft a wide receiver in the draft. They go and they draft a wide receiver, and you know I don't want to get into the Jefferson Rager debate, but they picked a wide receiver. But then it was almost like when you look at how they ran the offense, all of a sudden what used to be, and we'll talk about this a bit later with Sirianni and, and the Reich connection, is what made the Eagles really good in 2017 and to a lesser extent in 2018, and what Peterson brought was a lot of passing concepts, West Coast offense passing concepts. And one of the really encouraging things about Wentz as, as a very young player was how much he trusts what was happening in front of him. And it was a lot of like root concepts. It was a lot of man beaters, zone beaters. But the scheme was all about getting players open for the quarterback. Whereas it seemed like there was like this transition. And I don't know if it was because of the investment they put into the position and because all they heard about all offseason was about the wide receiver. But especially in the second half of the year, like the focus was on like, you know, Fran Duffy's covered this a lot, but like isolation routes down the field, like, you know, we know we don't have great skill players at the wide receiver position, yet the offense started to be built around like, you know, fourth down calls where we're throwing fades to, to Rager or we're throwing a fade to Boston Scott in the, in, the, in, the, in the red zone, things like that, like all these isolation routes where we don't have the talent and, you know, everything that made Wentz great and even Foles to a certain extent was based on the offense presenting itself. And you see that more and more in the NFL, right? Like when I saw what happened to Wentz in 2020, it kills me when you see guys like, you know, Garoppolo, Goff, even Trubisky, like guys that have an offense that presents open receivers to them. Like it's schemed up and that's what our offense used to be. And they took a major departure away from it. And so, you know, bottom line for me, I can't explain why that happened. But it's the thing that really just put a nail in the coffin for this offense and for Peterson's career as Eagles head coach. I thought like what the what you started off with was exactly right because even the twelve personnel wasn't even working this year, and that's Peterson's bread and butter. So when that started to fail, everything else started falling out of structure. I just don't understand how he would like. I think Malcolm Jenkins said it perfectly the other day. If you continue, and it's it's a known saying, if you continue doing the same thing over and over again, you're just doing insanity like that's its definition of insanity doug never changed though yeah like when things weren't working he never changed i mean this team will in his offense and i think a lot of people stood up for him and said hey we should bring doug back give him another chance bring in an offensive coordinator but when you really sit back and digest this season this team this offense was good enough to beat a nick mullins ben Danucci, daniel jones and Taysom hill led team mm-hmm. that's really bad yeah. That offense was really bad. I thought what you said was perfect. Like they didn't understand how to use the wide receivers at all. Uh, you can make what you will about the jo- Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager debate as much as everybody does numerous time after time. But it looked like this offense was preparing for a Justin Jefferson and not a Jalen Rager instead. And when yeah. it's just not being on the same page, they were never on the same page to start the season off. And the 411 and one team was the show for it. But I mean, None of us could have predicted the regression of Carson Wentz. None of us yeah. could have predicted the regression of what was going to happen with Zach Ertz. Because, I mean, he's your number one target. You rely on Zach Ertz day in and day out. When that falls apart, they weren't ready for that. 
Travis Fulgham had his had his shiny moments. And then defenses started picking up on them because once you have that two game, three game film on a player, you could start scheming against them. And that's what teams started doing. And what did the coaching staff do to help them out? So, Ryan, I know because Johnny and I went back and forth on this this whole entire time, this this uh this whole last couple of weeks before they fired Doug, because Johnny did want to give him another chance. I was on the fence about it. I was like, we need to get rid of him. Uh, what did you think when they fired Doug Peterson? Did you think it was the right move? Because I mean, based on I know taking one season is hard to do when you build up a resume and you win a Super Bowl. But watching the regression of his system and his offense since really Frank Reich left him, uh, it hit its ultra peak this year. And I really just couldn't buy into another season of that. Even if you bring another offensive coordinator, uh, we saw how strong Will Doug was for play calling or being that head coach or having some type of authority of the team. He was never going to hand the keys over to an offensive coordinator to call the plays or to be in charge of this offense. So uh, what did you think about the firing? Did you think it was actually something that had to happen? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll say first and foremost that, uh, and hopefully this isn't too much of a bold or hot take, but I, I'm, you know, and we can talk about it more later, but I'm, I'm out on wins. Like I'm completely out on wins. Like I was out on them by the end of the season. I'm usually not a knee jerk guy on one bad season, but you know, I can list out the reasons why I'm out on wins. Right. Uh, that said, I think when it came to Peterson, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked um what that and what that means for Wentz is a different thing like I don't believe in this whole like they've sided with Wentz and therefore they let Peterson go the reality was the thing that's interesting about the Peterson firing is is I don't think they fired him for what happened on the field and I think that's weird because you know yeah we can look at the Super Bowl and we could say you know he won a Super Bowl he deserves like you know more chances because it was only three years ago that he won a Super Bowl and I, I can see that I guess but you know, at the same time, you can look at the offenses he field, fielded since the Super Bowl and you can say, look, like if that's his job, that's his one job is to make sure the offense and his $130 million quarterback is functioning well, then he's failed miserably at that. Not just in 2020, he failed miserably at it in 2019 and he, he didn't do a great job in 2018 with that for, for that matter. Like we never got the best of wins post-2017 and that's a problem. But the funny thing is, is the reason why I would say that you know, the firing of Wentz wasn't surprising is probably, I mean, sorry, the firing of Peterson wasn't surprising is that ultimately what it came down to, again, it wasn't necessarily that he got fired for what he did on the field. He got fired because the front office didn't have the confidence to just give him the keys to the organization and say, get the coaches you need. You know, we saw, there's just, you know, without getting into the drama, we saw so many examples on a week to week basis where it went from not just the GM and the owner choosing the coaching staff and the changes that needed to be made on the coaching staff, but to making decisions about the game day roster, to make decisions about who the starting quarterback is, to make decisions about which guys are playing and which guys aren't playing. Once you get to that level, the coach has got to go, right? Because you don't have the confidence. Now we can sit here and we can complain. And trust me, I'll be first in line to complain about Howie Roseman and also the job Jeffrey Lurie's done. I mean, I think ultimately, and and this is a popular opinion, I think that's where the problem is right now. I think they've kind of lost the plot a little bit. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, if, if, if you need to do that and you don't have confidence in your head coach to handle a lot of these decisions about game day, about who your starting quarterback is, about, you know, how you're going to fix your coaching staff, then you got the wrong coach. And so, I mean, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, if I come in there, that's really interesting, actually. I want to go back to a few things. But because, as we mentioned, we're not sort of doing the drama thing, but I think you get this idea that you have to be Team Doug or you have to be Team Howie now. It's like you can't just be like, you know, Doug probably should have been fired, but Howie's also bad. You have to sort of pick a side. Um, before we sort of move off it, I want to touch a little bit more on Doug's offense, just briefly, because I know how um, clever, Ryan, you are scheme-wise and stuff. And I literally had two main notes in front of me that I wanted to talk about. The first one was isolation route. And you said that after about 10 seconds of your first one. And the second example was going to be throwing a go route to Jalen Rager against James Bradbury. And you mentioned that as well. So uh, smart minds and all. Um, The thing that gets me is I've never heard anyone with that idea about did they change the system because they invested in the wide receiver position? And that's a really interesting thought because I want to come back to that. You almost wonder if some coaches coach better when they've got weaker players, which is a really weird point to make, but they make it more friendly. So if we've got bad wide receivers, we need to scheme them open. Oh, now we've got Jalen Rager, Alshon Jeffrey's back. They're two great receivers. We don't need to scheme them open. And I was, I want to come back to this because I want to talk about the last four weeks of the season because I've got it into my mind and it might have been that I'm just going crazy and I've overreacted to what I've seen. 
But I am convinced that Doug called such a better game when Jalen Hurts was a quarterback. And I want to hear your opinion on those last four games because I think it's easy to say, of course he did, because Wentz wasn't playing and Hurts was better. But I actually don't think Hurts played particularly well. And I don't think Hurts processing is any better than Wentz's. And Wentz was bad processing speed-wise. He missed very basic reads. I think what you said about Wentz's mind going, he just he lost his head by about week seven or eight. He simply wasn't seeing things that were right out in front of him. But I still don't really get, and I've never understood this, and I would love to sit down with Doug and say, the offense to me seems to dramatically change the last four weeks. Not to an extent where it was a different offense, but it was just so much more QB friendly. There were so many more things that we've seen, staple root concepts like mesh and throwing corner flats and slant flats and just basic stuff that you're sitting there going, why didn't they do this for the first 12 weeks? Now, do you think I've overreacted to that? And actually, it's a case that Hurts was just better? Or do you sort of agree with me that the offense was significantly different the last four weeks? Uh, there's no question it was different. And, and there's no question. I mean, you see, this with, you see this with coaching staffs all the time, right? And it, it, it always drives me crazy when, like, you know, and unfortunately, we didn't see it turn around in the win column. So there wasn't as much attention spent on that. But if the Eagles had a one, a, lot, a couple more games at the end of the season and snuck in and won the NFC East and got into the playoffs. The narrative would have been from the coach would have been, what have you done to make this backup quarterback more successful than your franchise quarterback? Like, it would have been the, the can the, 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 the canon answer would have been, Oh, we just simplified things down, right? Like we, 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 you know, we're not going to say we dumbed things down, but we simplified things down. We went back to what worked. We went back to the basics it drives me crazy when coaches say that because you always say like, well, what were you waiting for? Why didn't you do that before? I think the one thing to your point, Johnny, that's, you know, worth debating about. And it's just the thing that we'll never know the answer to, right? We probably never will unless one of these guys writes a book, you know, years from now, but is like how much of the dynamic of the offense changing was Wentz's influence on plays that he liked to run or things that he wanted to do. Uh, versus what was naturally in the scheme previously. And, you know, we've heard lots of rumblings about, you know, you know, Wentz getting, you know, more involved in play calling, getting more involved in, in focusing. And, you know, every coach will tell you, we want to sit down with our quarterback and understand the plays that they want to run better. And when I just look at the, you know, they made a lot of changes on the coaching staff. They brought in a lot of voices. But then when you heard a little bit about, especially if they did a part of like the Martys and like, there's no way Marty had a huge influence on the isolation routes that they were running, right? The, that's completely against his philosophy as a West Coast offense coach, right? It seems that Scangarello had pretty much no influence hardly whatsoever. I think there was some reference to about being in the red zone. So it wasn't him. So you're kind of running out of options. So it's either down to press or it's down to Carson. So I think that's one of the potential answers to it is for whatever reason, Carson, there were certain things Carson wanted to do differently. And, you know, the coaches agreed that they would do them and they didn't work. Uh, so I think that's part of the problem. I think the other problem of why, why did Hertz look better um, in some ways? I mean, I think you're right. Wentz got to the point where he just lost his head and, and that was it. Right. But I mean, you saw from the very beginning, like, Zach Ertz is getting older. He's not the player he used to be. But when you see those two guys not being on the same page, uh, you know, running staple concepts that they've been running for years and being so off. I mean, the, the popular thing to say is, is Ertz is old. He's done. He wants out anyway. Just get rid of him. Right. And I, I don't disagree. I mean, it's we're, we have a turning of the page. We need to move on some, from veterans and we can't be continuing to invest in older players. But to me, that was a clear sign that, you know, for me, that was on Wentz. Like, if he doesn't have chemistry anymore with the guy that he had chemistry with, like no other for years, there's something very, very off. Um, so then to finish on the Hertz front, uh, to talk a little bit about that, again, I think it's just this idea of, you know, there was a lot of just, you know, scheming guys open. You know, there's a lot of one read and run concepts for Hertz, you know, utilizing his legs, different things. There was a lot more quarterback movement, which I think everybody was screaming for more and we all thought was going to happen with Scangarello's influence and all of that kind of stuff. So, again, it was about, about you know, making the offense work for the player. I also think they did some really – and this is what, for me, kind of gave me a little bit more faith in, you know, maybe we still need to give Doug a chance because the evolution that we saw in the running game, like – you know, when you, whenever you, you switch quarterbacks on the fly in week 11, week 12, you don't have time to build a new offense. But they brought a lot of really cool concepts and ideas in. And, you know, Stoutland probably deserves a lot of credit for this. Maybe Deuce deserves a lot of credit for that as well. But that was a nice nice thing to see from Peterson at the end is to say, look, like he didn't just try to run the same things with Wentz. But bottom line is 
is, and I think the best evidence you have of this point is Green Bay this past year and Aaron Rodgers with Matt LaFleur. Like, I mean, they run, and this is very well documented. They run a supremely quarterback friendly system now with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL or arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. He's a very sharp quarterback. He's run complex schemes in, in his, in previous in his career. LaFleur and his offensive coaching staff said, we're going to take the best quarterback in the league and put him in a quarterback friendly system and see what happens. Why they have not done that with Wentz or why they felt they didn't, why they, you know, because they did the same thing with Foles, right? You know, when Foles came in, there was a lot more RPOs. There was a lot of things where it's presenting itself, easy throws, easy passes. Guys were open, but it was the scheme that was getting them open. It wasn't beating. So why they decide to make things harder for Wentz, I don't have an answer for it. I'm interested to hear the reasons of why you're out on Carson Wentz, though. Yeah, I, I and that's not to be dramatic because I mean I feel yeah. like the, it's it's a valid opinion to have, but I'm interested to hear it though. Yeah, so a uh, couple things: you rarely see a season like you saw this past year from a from a top tier quarterback, right? You rarely mm-hmm. see it. Like sixteen, you know, he didn't play sixteen games, but whatever it was, twelve games or eleven and a half games or twelve and a half right. games, whatever it was. He was bad through the whole thing. Like there was none of this, like none of this end of 2019 four four game winning streak where he started to look better with a crappy supporting cast. This was, you know, bottom of the barrel quarterback play for an entire year. And, you know, the one concern you would have had about Wentz, you know, ahead of this past season was probably like the one thing that carried over year on year was the fumbles. So you're like, okay, that's a problem. Hopefully he can address it. But you know what? If he continues to play at a high level, you live with it. Quarterbacks fumble. It just happens, right? But to see the interceptions and then to see the complete lack of upside, in my view. Like, again, you can look like look at Jameis Winston from a couple of years ago, right? And I'm not a Winston fan at all. And he had that that year where he had, I don't know, what, what, what was it, 28, 30 interceptions, right? 30. 30. Yeah, 30 interceptions, which is terrible. And you're never going to win games with that. And I'm not saying that like – but on the flip side is, is he also threw like 30 touchdowns, right? right. And he threw for a lot of yards. So there was – ball movement like you know there there was something to hang your hat on and you you, you could because at the end of the day if it was just turnovers on Wentz and interceptions and fumbles you know given everything that happened along the offensive line given his supporting cast we could come up with a narrative to say you know what like it was the offensive line it was it was the supporting cast but there was no upside on what we saw and so the biggest reason why I'm out is not that I don't think he can rebound like you can't have a guy that drops off to the level he dropped off. Like he's not the 30th best quarterback in the NFL. I'll tell, I'll, I'll say that. But the question is, is now it becomes a financial decision as well. And you're committing 130 million or whatever it is to him. And the decision you make now impacts what you do in 2021, what you do in 2022 and beyond. And so the reality is, is, you know, when you factor that aspect into this discussion, that really leads me to the conclusion that you have to be out on him because there's just, it's a franchise altering decision, right? Is that if, so if you stick with him for this year, chances are you have to restructure his deal because you need to make it work within 2021. And if you do that, now you're committing more of those dollars forward. Whereas if you make a move now, yes, you have to deal with the $35 million cap hit in 2021, but that's got like, you have a clean slate in 2022 and beyond. And so, you know, unless you think Wentz can be, you know, that $130 million quarterback and you expect him to be a top 10 quarterback, then in my view, it's not worth it. And and I think it's a really big stretch to say that he can be a top 10 quarterback now. We're years removed from 2017, 2018 and 20, because for years we looked at it and said, well, what about 2017? That's what, that's what Wentz is. He's just had injury problems and everything. But then we saw, we used that excuse in 2018. We use that excuse in 2019. We can't keep using that excuse in 2020. Can he be a top 15, like 12 to 15 quarterback? Probably. Is it worth it? Especially when you consider all the other drama that's happening in the background. It's not, in my opinion. You got to move on. You got to move on. It's not going to work. And I don't even see, without getting into the drama, there's clearly a dynamics issue between Wentz and Hurts. And why would you want a new, young, inexperienced coaching staff come in to have to deal with that? I mean, with all the things we've heard about Wentz in the in the background, you know, you know, they're getting criticized for hiring inexperienced young coaches, which I'm okay with. Um, but to give them right out of the gates a quarterback controversy and that dynamic is, you know, it just doesn't jive with me. 
Yeah, I think that's literally fair. And I'm someone who is more pro Wentz than I'd say sort of the average reader. But again, like you, he was terrible this past year. And one of the things that I've struggled with is I'm personally, I'm probably like you, I'm probably out on him being a top 10. If I had it my way, the more I think about it, I would, I've been thinking about this the last week with all the reports. I know this is a bit more, we're not really going to talk about this today, but I'd be quite happy moving on and drafting another quarterback very, very high. That would not bother me in the slightest, personally. Um, and, the, and the benefit you get, right, just just one more point there, is yeah. the benefit you get is this is the kind of nightmare scenario that, of why you drafted Hurts. And, I mean, I think in my view, and this is why I go back to Howie and go back to Jeffrey Lurie as the ultimate problem here, is because how do you, in April of 2019, I think it was, extend your quarterback and give him 130 or whatever it was, $160 million contract. How do you nine months later utilize a premier draft pick and draft a quarterback, a very high profile quarterback with a, you know, a reputation from, from college football, especially when you consider the whole Foles dynamic that Wentz had to deal with. Like, what are you, like, what are you asking for? And then you can say like, you know, we haven't surrounded Wentz with the right talent. So in fairness to Wentz, like, even though, like I'm saying, I met him and he had a horrible year. I mean, these guys did not put him in the position to be successful. Right. And no. so, so, but, but coming full circle, this is why you made that pick. So if you picked Hertz with the second round, it was for this type of nightmare scenario. They were maybe thinking more about Wentz's long-term, you know, injury history or, or some other thing. But this was the nightmare scenario that you did this for. And the reason why, to some degree, picking Hertz made some level of sense is because from a cap perspective, you'd rather spend on a rookie deal and put that much cap when you're when you're spending so much in one player in the franchise quarterback. You don't want to spend, you know, eight to $10 million on his backup. Like you, like you had to do when you had foals. Right. So this was a good opportunity. So this is your out right now is, is Hertz is still in his rookie deal and he will be for the next three years. So you can stomach that $35 million cap hit at the quarterback position. As long as you don't have to turn around and sign a 10 or $12 million quarterback to replace him. Right. That's, that's the, that's kind of the Rams problem, right? Is they got rid of Goff in his contract, but then they've got Stafford in his contract. Like the Eagles don't have that option. So at least with Hertz, they have the optionality to say, say we're going to go with him for 2021. They can draft a quarterback to your point, John. I don't know if they will or they won't, but they could because, again, that's another rookie contract. What they don't have the luxury of doing if they cut Wentz and take the $35 million cap hit is turn around and sign like a really expensive veteran quarterback like they did back in 2017. So that's where the opportunity is. And that's also part of the reason why you have to be a little bit out on Wentz is to say, well, now's the time to make that move. And maybe you get burned for it, but – you also have to think about the legacy in Philadelphia and it's a tough city to play in. Like he's got half the city, if not more against him now, like there's going to be a very short leash on him. He needs to change the scenery. I'm not saying he can't bounce back, but I really don't believe he can bounce back in this city. Yeah. I think exactly how you're explaining though, that might be Carson Wentz's mindset to a T and that's yep. why he wants out. Cause we haven't heard anything from him yet. And we have all those reports coming out speaking for him. So that's all we can go off of. I just, I can't explain the regression. I just can't explain it. I mean, he's not well, that bad of a player. He's really not. That's not him. He's really, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, all those things put together. I do think he's going to go somewhere else. I think he'll be successful. I don't think he'll bust for them. Do I think he's going to be worth the money that he ends up getting? Maybe, maybe not, but it's it's another team's problem. And the other team, when they if they acquire him, the first thing they're going to do is restructure his contract and make it more favorable for them. So it's a different situation than we're in right now. Like we're stuck with it. We don't have a lot of flexibility. He will give the team he gets traded to more flexibility. Yeah, I agree. And then to, to Johnny's point earlier, too, I mean, I think just the really harsh reality of it was is Carson's not the quarterback that we thought he was. I think that's the, the huge reality of the situation is even if he does stick with Philadelphia, because I think what you're saying is correct. Very, very sounds logical and everything. But he, again, you have to factor in what Jeffrey Lurie's feelings are. I feel like his feelings are still attached to Wentz. I feel like he's trying to fix everything for Wentz and make this work with Wentz. But I mean, it is true. I I am afraid to tie what he did last year to this coaching staff. I have been apprehensive about it, and I'm not going to lie. Jalen Hurts' demeanor is infectious. That's what you want from a quarterback. That's what you want from your starting quarterback is to perform, I mean, not perform, but to carry himself the way like he is carrying himself, especially Philadelphia. Yeah, I was going to say on that as well. I think, I mean, you were preaching to the choir earlier on, Ryan, when you were talking about the Hurts pick. I mean, me and Connor were doing this podcast. Basically, we just started as that pick happened, and I was actually a reasonable fan of Harry Roseman. And basically, the day two ended every bit of good faith I've ever had. The Hurts and Taylor pick combined, and I feel a bit mean picking on Taylor here because it's sort of relevant as a third-round pick. 
But those two picks combined and like my whole approach to the Eagles, my whole approach to Howie, to Doug, everything just changed. And I know that's unfair on Hurts. And I think you've now got Eagles fans, probably like myself, probably slightly biased, who have been fans of Wentz and instantly became anti-Hurts, which was, it's not fair on Jalen either. You now get sections of the, of the fan base that do not like Jalen Hurts because he's not Carson Wentz. And I, I faced that myself. I've tweeted out a lot last year. I probably, to be honest, I found the X's nose boring last year. I didn't really enjoy doing a lot of deal 22. And I enjoyed it in the last four weeks. So I put out these massive Twitter threads that went sort of nuclear with BGM retweeting them. And then I, the amount of hate I was getting for the last two about, you're judging Hurts really harshly. And it was like, no, the offense was just good. Like, dare I say, they ran good plays. Hurts just wasn't that good. And the reason why I'm sort of slightly on board with a rookie quarterback, and we're not going to get into this today, we'll, we'll do this later on, um, but it's because I don't know how often you're going to pick a six. But if the Eagles do decide, and also there's four quarterbacks this year that I think could go top five, top ten, but if the Eagles decide this year to move on from Wentz, stick with Hurts, and basically, I don't want to say tank the year, but are willing to sort of rebuild and throw it, then the odds are they will be picking high next year. But I also think it's almost hilarious, but looking at Jalen Hurts' demeanour, he's almost like the worst backup quarterback because he's almost too cool. It's almost like you need someone a bit geeky like Nick, like Foles. Like you're a bit like, he's a backup. Jalen Hurts does not scream, I want that guy behind me pushing for my job. If I was sitting there as a professional quarterback and Jalen Hurts was behind me, I'd be freaking terrified all the time because he's cool he speaks well he probably won't make a mistake he's probably a hell of a practice player because when you're not hitting full that speed probably just wows players because I think he is one of the best athletes I've seen at the quarterback position in a while um, so he's probably making these plays on day one of training camp when like Jaden Rager's walked up and just watched this guy run around for five seconds and launch it downfield and you're like oh my goodness, yeah. this guy's got like serious moves. So in some ways, the whole fit with them too, I don't think they seem to get on that well hurts on Wednesday. They very rarely speak. Uh, like, it seems very obvious. That they I think Wentz is probably, yeah. yeah. I think Wentz is probably seriously arrogant. I think he probably always has been, which by the way, Tom Brady probably is. I mean, Drew Brees probably is. I don't really mind that. Yeah, it's part, it's part of the, part of, it comes with the territory, I suppose. But I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. You know, yeah. And they're, they're not even hiding it really, that they don't get along. And I just can't see them in a quarterback room together no. uh, moving forward, unfortunately. And uh, again, why give that to a, if, if, if your one concern about your coaching staff is they're young and inexperienced, yeah. why give them the most explosive, you know, quarterback controversy in the NFL right now to, to be the first thing they handle, right? Uh, my next question yeah. for both of you guys, though, is how would how do you imagine Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni's type of offense since right. we're going to dive into Can, I, can, I, can yeah. I interrupt really quickly? Just because I want to – before we do that, I want yeah. can we just take Jalen Hurts out of Nick Sirianni's scheme for a moment? So if, yeah. I want to ask you one question about Hurts because I know you've probably watched a lot of him as well. My thing with Wentz is as well is I want players to look like they do in college. So my problem with Wentz this year was he didn't look like Wentz in college. The fumbles, the interceptions to an extent, the making dumb plays outside of structure, that does remind me of Wentz. He was always like that. But he always saw the field. He always got rid of the ball on time. He was quite an advanced player for a college quarterback. With Jalen Hurts, and we were talking about, and this we get into a whole philosophical discussion about what you need to win in the NFL. Do you need a top five, top ten quarterback? If you just sort of ignore Sirianni's scheme for a moment, and based on what you saw from college, Jalen Hurts, what you saw from four games, Jalen Hurts, how do you judge him going forward as an NFL? Do you think he has the potential to be a top ten guy, or and then we'll get into Sirianni if that's all right? But before we do, yeah, I, I don't. I liked what I saw from Hurts. I think there was definitely flashes. I think he got to a hot start and things settled. And I mean, I, I think you have to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I mean, I know every other NFL team had to deal with the same thing, but I mean. You know, he definitely exceeded my expectations in the last four games for a guy that didn't have a training camp, uh, you know, was a backup quarterback, got thrusted into a tough, tough situation. I mean, he's a gamer like he showed that and we knew that from him within college. Right. So so that's that that's the encouraging thing as to whether he is a potential to be a top 15 player. I think that will be very heavily dependent upon how much, you know, if, if he's the guy, uh, how much the scheme helps him and how much the scheme complements his skill set. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I think, and we'll get into this about the, about the Sirianni influence and the Reich influence piece is that you'd like to think at least that, I mean, the experience that Sirianni gained with working under Reich to have three very different quarterbacks with the Colts each year and have a fairly successful outcome with each of those quarterback plays is a good sign. And so, so I think, 
Hertz is going to need the scheme to help. Does he need to be like, does it need to be like a uh, Cam Newton or a Lamar Jackson offense? I don't think it needs to be that far. I actually think he potentially, you know, this might, this, this could be argued, but I think he possesses some more pass, uh, passing traits than even a Lamar Jackson. He's not as dynamic of an athlete, but I think he does have more upside as a passer as Lamar Jackson. Um, so, but, but I do think the scheme needs to help. So it needs to be a, you know, a run heavy scheme. There's going to be a lot of RPOs and things like that. Um, but I, I, so I, I think you got to lean into the scheme and maybe you get like a top 12 to 15 quarterback, but I, I think he's, he's limited as, as, as having more upside than that. Um, which again, could be fine. If you play good defense and you have that, it'll get you so far. The big concern I had about Hertz, uh, if, if, if anything, um, the thing I liked about him was the same thing I liked about Wentz early on. And one thing I give Doug a ton of credit for is most of the time when you see rookie quarterbacks, the game is too fast for them, right? With both Wentz, when he first came into the league and with Hertz, you didn't get that sense. Like they would, they would get the ball in their hands. They do a three or five step, step drop, their back foot would hit and they'd pull the trigger. They trust the scheme. They throw the ball, right? So many quarterbacks don't do that. So many rookie quarterbacks get the ball. They struggle, they get sacked or, or they try to run or whatever. The one concern I had about Hertz was, and I can't explain why, but like the middle of the field was just not part of this offense with him. Like, you know, and that's been something that's so heavily focused in this scheme over the years is, you know, you know, we talked about 12 personnel, but the emphasis on the tight ends and stuff, like everything was outside the numbers, which on one hand I was pretty encouraged by initially because I'm like, wow, he's throwing outside the numbers. He's not hesitating. He's getting the ball deep downfield. He's getting it to the sidelines, which again, something, you know, usually a rookie quarterback comes in and you focus on the short passing game over the middle. Why we weren't working the middle of the field just gives me a little bit of concern that there's something there that we don't know that's suggesting there's a limitation there. I don't know what it is, but it's something I'd be watching out for as, as uh, if, if he is indeed the starter in the early part of 2021. The one thing that bothers me about his mechanics is the hitch that he has in his throwing motion. I think yeah. if he adjusts that a little bit, I think the ball gets out a little bit quicker than it does. Because again, and I know Johnny said it so he is very slow processing his reads and the ball does take it a little bit to get out. And he was, I think, coming out of Oklahoma, I think it took 3.1 seconds, which would have been, 34th in the NFL after the 2019 season so yeah. obviously that needs to improve a little bit but uh we've also have talked about how I mean we've discussed this Johnny and I numerous times that uh the coaching staff wasn't really working on mechanical flaws of once they're kind of letting him revert back into what he's just comfortable with doing uh that's what I felt like with Hertz it wasn't being improved on or wasn't being looked at enough but my one question to both of you is from watching all the film that we watched so far and watching the Colts offense, I know that Nick Sirianni alluded to this too when, when he started out with the Eagles job, and he actually just did an interview and said this. But, I mean, he was with the Colts. The expectation was Andrew Luck. They had to flip everything the next script the next year to go Jacoby Brissett. And then after that, they had to flip the script and go to Phil Rivers. So he's used to the quick quarterback turnaround and scheming around and making a system for the player's skill set. Do you think he can do this with Jalen Hurts, though? Yeah, so it's a it's a million dollar question, I guess certainly, uh, and I think we're going to find out based based on what they do at the quarterback position, whether it is somehow retaining Wentz or whether it is you know drafting a quarterback as as Johnny stated. Uh, I would say most likely yes. I, I think on one side there's a there's a counter argument, right? So there's one side the argument that I have made is look, he showed that he's got a background working under an offensive head coach that has you know when you think about it, Reich has had. Over four years, he's had, you know, five different quarterbacks. He won a Super Bowl with two, right, with Wentz and Foles. Then he had Luck, then he had Brissett, and then he had uh, – and then, of course, he had uh, Rivers. Now, let's also not look past the fact that, you know, two of those guys are, you know, Hall of Fame-type quarterbacks in Luck and, and Rivers, right? So let, let's not pretend that he, you know – you know, Reich and, and Sirianni turned like these mediocre quarterbacks into like, you know, superstars. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the one counter argument I'd say on that. Um, my guess is if he, if he applies the principles that he's learned from Reich and that, that they've practiced, I don't see any reason why they couldn't, uh, why he couldn't make an offense that works for, for, for Hertz. I do think the retention and uh, I'm glad they cleaned house on the coaching staff. I just think it was needed for a fresh start. I'm glad they did retain Stoutland as I'm sure everybody's uh, glad about. And I do think that's, that's the piece that we haven't seen in the Colts offense as much. I mean, they definitely rely on the running game, but um, I, I think what we haven't seen with the Colts is kind of that dynamic 
quarterback running game. And so I do think the retention of Stoutland uh, along the offensive line, who was very influential on that running game. And the one thing I've always loved about the Eagles running game is how multiple it is. Um, I think that gives him a shot. We just haven't seen him do it. So as long as he's open for ideas and, and willing to work with guys like Stoutland, yeah, I think I think he can. I, I don't see why not. I mean, he's fungible. He's done a lot of different things. I mean, we, we'll get into this, I guess, probably next. But when you look at the offense that Reich has run and that Surian has been part of, you know, it, it, it's very similar to what what they did with Doug. You know, it's it's you know, I, I wrote very early on in Peterson's career, but the fact that you know, you know, showing how it was like a hybrid West Coast offense. It has spread concepts. It has air raid concepts, and, and Reich took all of that forward. So yeah, I, I don't see any reason why he can't make a scheme work for Hertz. Um, yeah. But so we'll just see, I think, you know, some of the, the off season decisions they make will, will dictate that. Yeah. Once again, I feel like Ryan, you must be stalking my Twitter and saying my points because uh, I know you're not on there very much, but it's one of the things I spoke about a lot when I, I, I made sort of a thread the other day about how I felt that the scheme was better suited to Wentz. I, and I still think it is in many ways. And the big reason why was the lack of, running uh it seems to me and there's a difference between sort of plays outside the pocket but if you look at luck Foles, Wentz as you mentioned most of his background is with quarterbacks who win inside the pocket even Brissett uh, he might be a bigger guy who comes in these days on fourth and one but he's not a mobile quarterback in the sense that mobile quarterbacks like Lamar like that, that nowhere near so basically we are projecting whether he can do that. And I've been a little bit concerned in some ways when Sirianni, and I know he's very nervous at his press conferences, but I always get worried when coaches say, like, what's your philosophy? And they say, my philosophy is it depends on the players. It's like, well, yeah, you still need to have a philosophy. Like, anyone can say that. Any coach can say, oh, I've got a running quarterback. Let's build around him. Like, the best coaches have a philosophy and they adapt it to you, but it's their structure. Sean McVay is not going to walk into another team tomorrow and change his system because of that quarterback. It's Sean McVay's system. Carl Shannon. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. there's two schools of thought to that, though, Johnny, in fairness. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and I, I think that's the one thing that you hope you get from Sirianni is a guy that is willing to adjust based on the personnel and the players they have, right? And, um, you know, it's going to need to take that refreshing outlook. And I think, you know, saying that, you know, he was able to do that with three different quarterbacks in three different years, I do think that's an asset. And it goes to show that, look, you, you can deal with, you know, some different combinations and some different cards that you're dealt with. So, so I can see why you'd be concerned about that, but I think at the, at the same time, you know, at least there is a track record there and, you know, you're going to need that at some point, right? You're going to need that at some point in your coaching career where you're not going to have the quarterback that you thought you were going to have for the season and you're going to have to adjust. And, you know, there's some best practices. I, you know, I hope that he's taken away from, from being part of the the Reich uh, coaching staff and uh, that he borrows and brings forward because there's no question. I mean, do we have right now, is Jalen Hurts the quarterback for the next three seasons for the Philadelphia Eagles? I, d- I doubt it. So I think we're going to see, uh, you know, some different quarterbacks and it's going to define whether Sirianni is here for the long term or not. It's how, what he does with that. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think maybe you're too strong on that, but you're right. I think you you need a coach to adapt. So I also think you have a philosophy and then you sort of build around it to an extent. But we spoke about Doug's actually philosophy being aggressiveness. It doesn't need to be just X's and O's. A philosophy is more than one thing. Um, but I mean, we, we said we get into Sirianni's offense a bit. So I tried to watch as much as I could from last year. I watched quite a bit with luck as well to see how it changes. And as you mentioned, to me, the offense has always been built from a quarterback from, a, from the pocket standpoint. We haven't seen a lot of sort of plays outside the structure. Uh, we didn't see a lot of the sort of things that I personally think you need to do to make Jalen Hurts good. I think the positives are, as you mentioned before, is there's a lot of the things that Eagles done in 2017, which some people might not want to hear it similar to Doug. But I think last year in particular, the emphasis was on the run game. I think there was a, it was a really multiple run game with good use of tight ends. We spoke a lot on this podcast about one-two personnel. I spoke to you yeah. about one-two personnel probably more than anything. And there are specific reasons why you use one-two personnel, in particular in the run game, which I think fans don't often realise. And that the, If you want a bit more detail, go back to listen to last year's podcast or the piece I wrote for BGM where we, uh, I spoke quite a lot about that. But it's also very similar in terms of 2017, in terms of you see a lot of wide receivers sort of screened open. You see a lot of dagger. You see a lot of mesh. Um, you see a lot of running back in the passing game. I think the way they used Hines and Taylor last year was brilliant. Um, Naeem Hines became a really explosive element there. Um, I think there was an element of putting his players in the best positions to succeed. And you also saw good coaching because you saw players like Taylor improve dramatically. Um, and I think in the end, actually, they dealt with a pretty poor wide receiver core as well, which is something we obviously had. I think Pittman was a rookie who I really, really liked pre-draft, but they were asking a lot from him. Hilton's gone downhill a bit and Paris Campbell was injured all year. 
So I think schematically, I think there'll be a lot of things that Hurts will enjoy. I think the getting the ball out at the top of his drop. Um, I think he'll enjoy. I think he'll enjoy the focus on the running game. I think the question for me becomes whether you think Jalen Hurts can run a sort of vertical normal offense, or whether you believe, as you mentioned, you need something designed like a Cam, like a Lamar. Um, and I do think it's interesting. I know it obviously didn't happen, but they interviewed Josh McDaniels, and it looked like that got very close because I do think McDaniels would have been a clear sign. Um, he was obviously a coordinator who'd gone from working with Tom Brady and then gone to working with Cam Newton and significantly changed his offense. So I think that's it maybe points to an idea that they do want a coach who is flexible with a quarterback position. The fact they even interviewed McDaniels and the fact he got that close um, sort of suggests to me that maybe there is an element of building around Hurts. Um, I just personally wonder if they was going to be Hurts as the guy we're going to build around him. They would have got a coach, maybe done a little bit more, uh, who'd work with someone like Lamar, uh, work with someone like Cam Newton. But as you mentioned, they're probably not building around the fact that Hurts will be the starting quarterback for three years because that's probably not the intention. So, in, 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 in complete fairness, they shouldn't, right? I mean, you could make the argument that if they were in on Wentz and they were convinced that he was part of the future, that maybe you hire a coach that is going to put Wentz in the best position to be successful. I don't think that. That's what this hire signifies. Um, um, so, so you could, but you could defend that because you've already made this ridiculously huge investment in him as your franchise quarterback. Making a coaching decision, uh, you know, which is a very big, one of the biggest decisions you'll make on a on a football team, based around a guy that's a second round pick, rookie quarterback on a rookie contract, it would not be wise, right? So, so I I, I think that that's the key is is maybe Hertz ends up being the guy that we all hope he could be, but the reality is is I I don't think they're looking at him and saying okay we got to find the right coach for Jalen Hurts. If they're doing that, it's it's very short sighted, and uh, um, I think that would be probably a very bad sign. I don't believe that they're doing this. But it was interesting. I thought that the third most important hire on this team was going to be quarterback coach. Yeah. And yeah. it was interesting they brought in Brian Johnson. But I do think Brian Johnson can work with Carson Wentz. And then, if anything, just go look and see what happened to Kyle Trask this year at Florida to answer yeah. that. I, yeah, I agree. I it's a very intriguing hire. And the, the other thing I thought about the other day about that one was because, like, all the attention was, oh, this is this is Hertz's, you know, dad's old quarterback and knows him, knows him since he's four years old and all this kind of stuff. And people saw it as this direct sign of like, and I get it. Like if you're Wentz and you're already really upset with the organization and then you bring in a quarterback coach who has this background with Hertz, how can he not be, you know, based on what we think we understand about his personality, how can he not be? The flip side of that is that I thought about uh, the other day was like, you know, it goes back to the point I made earlier. How can you give a young and experienced coaching staff, this type of quarterback controversy right out of the gates. Well, maybe Brian Johnson is, and again, I don't think this is the case and I do think Wentz is going to be gone, but maybe that guy, Brian Johnson is the one guy that can work with Hertz as a backup or with Hertz in an actual true quarterback competition with Wentz. Because if you think about it, like I don't think Peterson could have came back and, you know, basically still had Hertz and Wentz here and say, guys, it's a competition because Clearly Hertz wasn't happy backing up and clearly Wentz is not happy having Hertz as the backup, right? That's a dynamic. Can this quote unquote father figure for Hertz be the one guy that says, wait your turn, earn your job. If you don't earn your job, you, you're, you're the second string quarterback and you'll get your opportunity and then we'll see what happens. It's, it's a weird conspiracy theory, but it's the other side of the equation. I don't think that's what happened here. Um, but I, I think Brian Johnson is just, I don't want to say it's a complete coincidence, the Hurts thing, but I do think they liked him for his profile a lot more than they liked him for the relationships he has with players on the team. I absolutely agree. I, yeah, I think it's just a funny coincidence, but I do absolutely agree with that at all. I think Brian Johnson's a great coach. He's a future offense coordinator in the NFL for sure. Yeah, for sure. Dude, this has been a great episode, Johnny. 40, uh, 46 minutes. It always is. I'm telling you, Ryan is the man. Before um, we go, and I, we sort of touched you up a little bit, Ryan, but just final sort of thoughts on Sirianni. If we ignore Hurts and we ignore Wentz, I touched on it a little bit and I mentioned sort of, I don't know if you see the same thing as me. I think you're going to see, you probably are going to see one, two personnel, whoever is here, because I think it's not just about throwing the ball, it's a part in the run game. I think you're going to see Dagger. I think you're going to see Mesh. I think you're going to see a lot of Flood. I think you're going to see a lot of the same staple concepts that we saw in 2017. And you're going to see what the Eagles did so well in 2017, which is using a lot of different formations, using a lot of different looks to basically run very similar concepts, but trying to catch defenses out. And as you mentioned, running a very specific concept of zone beat up, man beat up, 
and then hopefully sort of build upon from there. And it probably will look a lot like 2017. Are you sort of of a similar opinion? Yeah, I totally am. Totally am. I think you're going to see, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's going back to the kind of the passing concepts, you know, making sure that you're presenting the quarterback with options that are getting receivers open versus finding a way for receivers to get themselves open. I, I think we'll see a return to that and it'll be refreshing. You, you talked about the run game. There'll be an emphasis on the run game. And the one wild card there is if Hertz is the quarterback, then you get a bit more juice out of that running game. Um you know, because of because of the element that he brings to both from a schematic perspective as well as from a skill set perspective. The only other thing I'll add to everything we said is the one thing I'm grateful for about this Sirianni hire is the one thing I said when Peterson got fired and we had all these candidates coming up was that my only wish was like, please, 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 whoever we hire, let's make sure that it doesn't take us back to the dark ages where it's a coaching staff that doesn't embrace analytics, that doesn't embrace that aggressiveness. Because at the end of the day, that's what got us the Super Bowl, right? We can say all we want about Doug. We can say all we want about Wentz. We can say all we want about Foles. But the one thing that the Eagles did that bucked a lot of trends, a lot of beliefs that really put them over the hump to win the Super Bowl was that, you know, those fourth down gambles, like going for it on fourth down, right? And that's something that Wright continued to do in his three years with the Colts. I, there was a there's a good article on the Athletic from Stephen Holder. I, I wrote it down here, that and there's an excerpt from that that says in 2018 the Colts con- converted 46.7 percent of their 15 fourth downs. In 2019 it jumped to 58 percent, and in 2020 it jumped to 61 percent. So not only are is is he you know and he took a lot of like a lot of flack for a couple really high profile notable losses where, you know, like a couple of years ago, he went for like, he went for the win instead of the tie to go into overtime. He made some big fourth down gambles, even in the playoffs this year that didn't work out in his favor, but he didn't waver from that. He was like, you know what, you win some, you lose some, but you got to be aggressive. And not only is the, are the stats showing that he's being aggressive, it's showing that he's successful on fourth down. And so I'm just so grateful we're not losing that element of Peterson because I thought it was his best quality. And provided Sirianni doesn't get spooked in his first time as a head coach, the first couple of fourth downs go wrong. And, you know, what I didn't want to have was an old school field position head coach, right? I want someone that can kind of bring that, you know, view on analytics and that fourth down aggression. And all the signs point to Sirianni bringing that, provided he has the confidence to kind of keep doing that. And I think it'll make the biggest difference because it's a huge edge that, you know, the, the rest of the NFL is catching on, but there's still like 60% of the NFL that's still playing ball control, you know, three down offense. Whereas the mindset, you know, here has to be, you know, every time you line up, you're thinking four downs to get 10 yards. And, uh, and I think that's the key. The only other part about the offense I think is intriguing and it partially comes together with those past concepts we talked about is that they, they have been a, a good chunk uh, chunk yardage offense over the last three years. They rely a lot on Yak. I think that helps when you look at, at Rager um, as, as potentially, you know, what he can do for you. You know, we didn't talk about the draft. I'm not a draft guy, but if, if it were me at number six, I'm going wide receiver again. Uh, that's Sirianni's show. He right, did a lot of that position. Close out the show. I was like, do you have a favorite <laughs> six yet at least? So I'm glad that you answered that. Yeah, no problem. I am all in on Jamar Chase at six. Me too. Yeah, 100%. If he's on the board, you break it. Finally, get your number one wide receiver. In a passing error league, you need to have a wide receiver that could dominate the sport. I completely agree. It's time to go get that Jamar Chase. Yeah, yeah. Only thing that would give me pause is if there was an elite edge rusher, because I think that would be a good addition to what we need right now. But without that being there, I mean, a safe bet would go offensive tackle if the right one falls, but I I wouldn't do that. I mean, I think you got enough there to work with. You you just need a bit more help on offense, and you need to make sure, like, if you don't pick a wide receiver fairly high in this draft or you don't acquire one in free agency, which I don't think they have the option to do, then all your eggs are going in the Rager basket. And uh, I'm not as down on Rager as a lot of people were in his rookie year. I think there was some flashes, and I don't think the scheme or the offense or the coaching staff helped him but he's far from a sure thing. And so they, if they're thinking that he's the guy that they're going to lean on to make the big jump, you know, we we're talking about this all over again next, this time yeah, next year. Completely agree. Cause in an off season where you're moving off of your number one target and your number two is a complete unknown, you need to bring in a prospect that can potentially be your number one. And that would be Jamar Chase. So I completely agree with that. I, I do like the Kyle Pitts talk though. I do understand it. Cause I think he's a versatile type of player that you can put up at the X, put on my tight end. Uh, I'm If a guy's a matchup nightmare, I'm all for it, but I do understand the the stigma of 
generational tight ends being drafted in the top 10 and not working out too. So mm-hmm. I, it, it's just something interesting. I just, I hate putting past transgressions on a prospect. I mean, there, somebody can be different. Yeah. Possibly speaking different. Uh, and again, Brian Johnson ties right there. The offense quarter before the last year. So we'll see, but I, I, I am all in on the Jamar Chase. That's probably my number one option at uh, number six still. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Great episode. Great I'll episode. Every time. I love having you on it because it's just it's fun to talk because this is just more of the X's and O's that we don't get enough to hear about. We're always talking about the drama. So I really want to hear the X's and O's and what we're actually going to think the Eagles are going to look like next year, especially with Sirianni because, I mean, for most Eagles fans, they just heard of him. Yeah. No, no. I, we, we don't know anything, right? There's not a lot to go on. So, right. you, you, you know, and sometimes these coordinators, these coordinator hires surprise you. Like you think they're going to come in and they're going to do exactly what their head coach did. And they give you some different wrinkle. And I do think, you know, to your point, Connor, you know, what, if it is hurts, you know, that's the one thing we haven't seen from the Colts in the three different quarterbacks they had over the last three years is, you know, what do they have up their sleeve as far as, is, is, you know, a quarterback driven run game. And, uh, and my guess is they'll have some surprises for you and, and, uh, and, and you'll see some interesting things there. I mean, there's, it's all over college football. There's lots of film out there. These coaches, you know, they, they, they brag about the fact that they don't sleep, but that's what they're doing. They're looking for ideas everywhere they can get them. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, a, a pretty cool looking uh, offense with Hertz at the helm that, you know, still has the basic components of what we've seen from Reich over, Reich over the last three years. But uh, yeah, time will tell. Can't wait to see how it turns out. And I'm not going to put that past Sirianni. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, again, it's not just Reich he's been with. He's been with other organizations too and worked with other coaching staff. So uh, yeah. we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he's got. Johnny, any closing words? No, just basically whenever I tweet Ryan, we'll get him back on because he's got to come back on now because he's now a double appearance. But, yeah, seriously, it's, it's, it is quite refreshing as well because the fact you don't tweet or write anymore, it's like I, I, I used to look at what, a lot of what you said and I think we philosophically see football quite similar as well, which always helps. So it's nice to, in some ways, have sort of my thoughts reaffirmed because basically, to be honest, what you said is a lot of things that I was thinking. I think you helped make it a little bit clearer for some of the listeners on Wentz, and I think you were very fair on terms of not being down on him as a player, but the situation here is just so awkward. I think that would be my biggest takeaway to an extent. It's just the more we talk about it, the more you think about how awkward everything is. But, yeah, no, we'll do it again, maybe after draft time as well. I don't know how much you watch prospects after, but maybe a little bit when we see what the roster looks like because I think that's always a tell about what a coaching staff wants to do. Look at who they bring in. Look at what they've done in the past. So I think after free agency, after the draft, come May or June, despite not having any tape to break down, I think we'll have a much better idea of what he wants to do. And all you can say is that it is exciting. Uh, sports, we want to we want to enjoy them. We want to win, but at the end of the day, we want to be excited. I think anyone who tells you the Eagles are boring right now uh, probably isn't looking in the right place because they're. We're the talking Eagles. about our quarterback situation during the Super Bowl week. So <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. Good point. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Great episode. We'll be back soon. What's going on, everybody? It's Connor Miles, co-host of the Eagles Brawl. Here, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors. That's Manscaped. Go ahead, the holidays are here. It's time to get your loved ones trimmed, and nicely trimmed that is, by going to manscaped.com and using promo code BRAWL, that's B-R-A-W-L, to get 20% off your order, plus free shipping. You know it, he knows it, he needs to trim up. Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off your order, and free shipping, when using promo code BRAWL, B-R-A-W-L. Support your favorite Eagles podcast, Eagles Brawl, when purchasing an item off of Manscaped.com and also take care of that person you love. You work hard for your money. Are you sure it's working hard for you? You could be sure with Merowest Credit Union. As a credit union, Merowest is all about people, you and me. So they do the right thing by offering us better rates, greater choices, and better service. Merowest Smart Rewards Checking is a perfect example. It's a checking account that pays you with rates up to 18 times the national average. Really, check it out at Merowest.com. And service? Merowest takes pride in what they do. Experience it. Your dreams and Merowest's values just go together. Consider Merowest today. Unexpected trouble? CashNet USA can take the stress out of borrowing emergency funds. Our fast, secure application process makes it easy to apply online 24-7. Plus, CashNet USA offers same-day funding if approved before 10.30 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Additional terms may apply. 
Visit CashNetUSA.com or tap the banner to apply today. Unexpected trouble? CashNet USA can take the stress out of borrowing emergency funds. Our fast, secure application process makes it easy to apply online 24-7. Plus, CashNet USA offers same-day funding if approved before 10.30 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Additional terms may apply. Visit CashNetUSA.com or tap the banner to apply today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.